Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. My name is Michael, and we're here tonight for another episode of The Review Show. This will be episode 28, Journey Through the Radiant Citadel. 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 Joining me as always is my co-host Tom. Tom, say hello to everyone. Hello to everyone. So it's been a little while since we've got to this. We're, we're a little bit behind, so our apologies. I know, you know, the idea of getting these press op copies is that we will be able to do reviews before stuff comes out. But Gen Con and now a Catacon kind yeah. of throws a wrench into all of that. So my apologies if anyone has been eagerly awaiting our review. We're excited to get to it. It's a little bit late, but of course we also do want to thank uh, Wizards of the Coast for sending us the press copies because it's really cool that they do that. So yeah, I'm jumping around. I'm kind of tired, so it's yeah. going to be a loopy episode tonight. Tom, tell people where people, they can find you on the internet if you want to hang out with you. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at BezcarTom. That's Mandalorian Metal Tom. And of course, you can find me at the RPG Academy. Uh, you can also email the show at therpgacademy.com. Um, as always, we love doing reviews. We've got a whole bunch of more. We're starting to line up, but we want to do more of them for things that are not as well known, perhaps, as D&D. I love D&D. They send us free stuff. That's why we always do reviews for them. So if you have a product that you would like for us to review, consider sending us a review copy. Or if there's just something you love that maybe isn't on our radar, let us know. We might be able to work out a copy with the publisher or maybe just buy our own. We've done that before for reviews. But again, you know, we, we like to review what people want to hear. And so that's why D&D is always top of mind. But if you send us something, we would like to do that as well. So before we get to... Oh, no, you know what, Michael? I'm jumping ahead even more. Finish up what you were going to say. Again, I was just going to say that uh, we're going to jump into the review. I'm actually going to throw a little bit of a curveball for you. We did a review recently where we kind of got away from that um, rubric that we've always used as far as like fluff, crunch, layout. Art. Yeah. I love talking about those things, but I kind of feel like by trying to structure our reviews through them, we sometimes lose some of the back and forth casual nature yeah. that I think our show is best known for and, and what I think we do well. So we're going to get rid of that, at least for now. I still... My goal is if, if any of those things are so important one way or the other, they're going to come out in the conversation, but we're just going to do a more general format going forward on the reviews. We're just going to talk about whatever we want. We'll, we'll filter in those things as they are necessary or noteworthy, and then we'll just give an overall rating, and we won't be doing individual ratings going forward. Okay, yeah, and also I will say, Michael, you you don't give us enough credit. You say it's old, but it was released July 19th. Yes, we did get the book a week early, so it's oh, more than a month for us. But I still feel like we're doing okay. Uh, well, I appreciate that, Tom. You make okay. me feel better. Okay, good. All right. So again, so we're here today. We're going to take a look at the not quite newest Wizards of the Coast hardback because we we did just get the Spelljammer stuff in. Um, Tom got his copy of that, so that will be coming up soon. You have no experience with Spelljammer None. whatsoever. I played it back when it came out originally back, I guess, in the 90s, like one time. So I have very limited. But I will say I've been doing those um, Journey Through the Realms podcast, and we did a Spelljammer episode. So go listen to that. I, I loved that episode. I loved all of those. But we talk a lot about the Spelljammer setting from the old version. We're going to talk about the new stuff. But so today we're here to talk about Journey Through the Radiant Citadel, and what is this book, Tom? Give me the quick overview of what it is. So this is the latest 
adventure anthology book from Wizards. So this kind of follows what was originally... Wizards started doing this with Tales from the Yawning Portal, and then it kind of spun out into a few others. There was the Candlekeep Mysteries. Uh, I'm trying to think. I know there was there was other ones. Maybe Strixhaven could be thrown into there. Ghost of Saltmarsh is an anthology. Wizards does this format where they've been... It's been for like the past four years where in between their big adventure releases... They drop these anthologies, okay? These anthologies are typically not done by the the big names. So we're talking these... Chris Perkins usually isn't involved with these. I'm sure he's in the meetings and everything. But Jeremy Crawford does a little bit, but not a whole lot. This is their chance to kind of use some freelancers that uh, may not have had a chance or use some of their newer employees or in-house writers. And this, the pitch for... Journey Through the Radiant Citadel was it was going to be an adventure anthology that was all written by people of color, um, Mm -hmm. black, indigenous people of color, and it was um, supposed to be about their cultures. And the whole purpose of this adventure anthology was give us give us something new, something that wasn't just kind of western european fantasy all right uh give us these these new cultures these new experiences new environments uh new npcs new things to really experience at our tables that we really may not have used before so that's kind of the going premise of this book so there's a there's a bunch of adventures and then there's a a citadel that is kind of the there's an opening chapter here and this is the the pin where everything else kind of goes forth from it. Just like in Salt Marsh, you have the town of Salt Marsh, and then all of your anthology adventures are go from there. Or in Candlekeep, you have your Candlekeep, and then all the other adventures spring out right. from Candlekeep. It's, it's your hub where your everything hub. can begin and 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 uh, spoke out from like a wagon wheel. couple quick notes. I want to shout out one. The first writer mentioned in this is our friend Justice. You may know Justice was actually a correspondent for the RPG Academy for a little while where we were doing the uh, DMs Guild Spotlights. And, you know, I don't really know him much more than that, but we talked a few times. He sent us in some audio. He seemed like a really cool dude. And it's really nice to see him be successful. First, he went into Beatles and Grimm, and he was working with that company for a while. And now he's made this step over. And he, I believe he's actually like a full-time employee at yeah. Wizards of the Coast now in D&D. That's awesome. I'm so proud of that guy. Again, I, sh- I, I don't know him, but for some reason I feel connected yeah. to him because he was part of our show for a little while. And I'm just very proud of him, and I'm, and I'm, I'm happy that he has seen that success. So great on you, man. Good for you. Yeah, I think that's one of the cool things about these anthologies that they're doing. It lets people who did work on the DMs Guild or people who really want to write for Wizards, it kind of gives them a better shot to do that. And it's not necessarily something that is unattainable. Mm-hmm. anymore that fifth edition when fifth edition first came out it was like okay you're either chris perkins and his three buddies or you're you know writing on the dm's guild it's kind of changing you're seeing some new faces getting mixed in which is cool you get different perspectives um which is cool because i am not joking the re one of the reasons that i don't play a whole lot of D is because every adventure that comes out feels the same to me so <laughs> that's kind of it so with that out of the way, the, the structure of the book is it starts with basically the opening chapter or chapters is about the Citadel itself. So we get some history, but it's also a very vague sort of history where essentially there was like a polymorphed 
bronze dragon, I think, or is a, a dragon led a search through the astral sea to find it. They eventually did, and now they basically sort of re reestablished it. They 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 you know are trying to recreate it in its glory days. There, I believe, were twelve cultures that were originally part of the citadel, but there were like some that were lost and they're still looking for those cultures and they're gone. And there's like rumors about what might have happened to them and what could happen if they're found. And I'm just going to say, I got strong Mass Effect vibes from this whole chapter. Are, have you ever played the video game Mass Effect? I try playing Bioware games for like 15 minutes and then I get tired of reading text. <laughs> so I stop. I love Mass Effect is one of my favorite video games. Absolutely love it. I played the first one through maybe five, six, seven times. I played the second one through not quite as many. I've never got all the way through the third one. I'm that weirdo. I think the first one's actually the best. The gameplay changes drastically, and some would say it improves. I actually think it goes the other way because I just like the first game the most. But central to the first Mass Effect game, spoiler for a game came out 20 years ago, is The Citadel. And it is this ancient structure that was basically rediscovered by sentient beings in the universe. They've populated it, and unbeknownst to them, this is secretly a trigger that once enough people have gotten far enough along in their advancement, it triggers this invasion from this other force. And I don't think that's what they're going for here, but it does feel like that a little bit because you have this ancient structure that's been refound, repopulated. People are starting to grow, but there's also these mysteries baked in of like what did happen to these other cultures, what might happen if all the civilizations that were once part of it are refound. And there's enough you know wiggle room that you could kind of make it your own. And it's also called the Citadel. And in the game, it's called the Citadel. So I definitely got some Mass Effect vibes, which for me is a huge plus because, again, I love that game. So whether that was intentional or not, that's what struck me. Yeah, no, I never played Mass Effect. <laughs> I, I didn't. Yeah. Um, I, I have played it 15 minutes like five or six times. It's well, I- worth the, well worth the reading, dude. It is such a good game. It's so fun. I will trust you that about okay. that, though. So one of the things, though, is all of these anthology books start with these opening chapters. And I have the exact same problem with this chapter as I do with all of them. They're kind of, after this chapter, it's kind of done. Like, Radiant Citadel means nothing after, like, the first... 17 pages like Mm -hmm. it just doesn't so it's this cool idea but then none of the adventures and i get it it's an anthology they're all representing different cultures but the cultures these are not even like biomes on the citadel they're like on other planes or planets or you can put them on in the forgotten realms or in greyhawk and they include things that you can do that so they're not even connected to the Citadel other than the fact that there may be somebody from this area on the Citadel. And so it just I I, I just it just feels so weird to me. You're the adventures there's a lot of cool ones, and we're gonna talk about some of the specific yeah. ones that but they are they're cool, but they don't mean anything to me as far as the citadel goes. And yeah. You know, I I like the fact that it's pretty vague because, again, that allows me to make it as important as I want it to be or not as important as I don't want it to be. But I I agree. You know, it's like it's basically an excuse to do this 
book. They, they yeah. needed something to hang everything off of, and that's what they went with. Now, I don't know if this is a reference to a, the past D&D lore. I'm not familiar with it, if it is. But again, I'm not the most educated in the, in the old school official stuff. I always played homebrew. So I don't know if this was a brand new creation or if it's a reinterpretation of something that existed before. I'm unaware. But it, it's basically an excuse to hang this anthology off of. And for that, it works. But I don't know that it's necessarily like something that, oh, I can't wait to run a Citadel adventure or a Citadel campaign. It did not, other than the Mass Effect thing, which I think is cool, I, I'm not like compelled to make my next campaign centered around this. I might use some of these adventures and pieces and parts, maybe even run them whole cloth in certain situations. But yeah, I agree that there wasn't enough there for me to be like, oh, this is this is so important that I, I want to run a, a whole campaign based off of it now. No. Yeah, it's it's goofy. Some of them work better than others. This one just it just doesn't. I feel like they had opportunity here. They could have, you know. It had all of these different locations. Just just connect them to the Citadel. Why does it need to be distant planets? Like, I feel we've had this conversation on our Discord recently, the whole idea of adventures versus homebrew. And, oh, well, you don't need to take... Adventure doesn't need to be great because you can just use some homebrew and homebrew. I don't agree with that whole Mm -hmm. idea. I think that an adventure needs to be solid and you can run it as it is. Or you just do homebrew. And I get that you can take stuff out of it, but it needs to be written in a way where I can pick this up and I feel like, oh yeah, I'm going to run this as it is. And I just don't get it from that. So my my big... not Misgivings is not the right word. I guess my confusion is it feels to me like everything they needed to make this an amazing adventure is right there. And that's all the stuff they didn't do. Yeah. Like we have these lost civilizations and then there's mystery built into like, why are they lost? What happened to them? What happens if we find them? That's pretty compelling. Make that the adventure. Each adventure should be, it's almost like a Star Trek episode of like a way team. You, you go through the Citadel to these lost civilizations and find out what happened to them. What made Ghost of Saltmarsh so great because it connected the adventures in the sense that it was like, here, you can run these as standalone adventures, but in the opening chapter, it included a brief snippet on each one of them, and it was like, here's how to make a campaign. Here's how all the adventures tie together. So it's an anthology, but if you want everything to be connected to that central hub, you just need to add this bit in. Yeah, and that's not here. Like, it basically says you could play them all and then you could as the dm create a way that they connect but they really there is no overarching mythology or story that does connect them together but you have that if you flip it and you do like the reverse image negative of this adventure and say go to each of these you know civilizations that is lost find out what happened to them and if you can rediscover maybe they have been moved again that's the adventure we don't get that's the adventure i would have wanted i think that would have been a much cooler series of adventures that would have been connected into an overarching campaign that there is something each of them has been affected in a way that somehow connects back to the citadel maybe there's some sort of conspiracy on the citadel you got these incarnates which to me are kind of like the keepers i know josh from tabletop journeys we talked about that on twitter i i feel like this is everything that this is missing is what I'm most interested in doing. But again, that could just be me. I don't know. But that, yeah, that's that's my number one thing is that like the thing that it, we're not doing is what I think we should be doing. 
So the last thing I want to talk about this opening chapter is the politics of the Citadel, because it is it is a key feature, and it is something that the writers were very clear to include. There yep. is, I mean, there is there's a section on the politics, there's a section on the lifestyle and society, governance, law enforcement, everything. Okay. My problem here is it is, look, all right, I am no political or philosophy scholar, okay? But I've read just a little bit enough to know that there are conflicting messages here in this book. And it bothers me so much because (laughs) Watsi was so close at making, in my opinion, one of the coolest political structures they've ever had in any of their books. All right, because the whole premise of the Citadel is, and they say this, it is a city of immigrants. Mm -hmm. It is people who are lost and found this place. It is an egalitarian society. So the whole idea of egalitarianism is that everyone is equal and everybody is afforded the exact same rights, all right? And that, and also the, the whole idea is that it should favor the people who have less opportunity. So this whole idea of not just equality, but equity, right? And it's it's creating this really interesting society, okay? That isn't the whole mo- monarchy that we're so used to in Dungeons and Dragons, okay? And I'm like, oh, this is great and everything. But then the next page, they introduce a ruling council. And, and it just... It blew my mind. I'm like, you can't have this egalitarian society with a ruling council. And what's so interesting, though, about this is that this is such a, and we're going to go deep here. This is such a, it's a trope among like boomers and Gen Xers, like this whole Clintonian politics, all right? This whole idea of what, saying equitable society, but it does it, but you still have a ruling class, which is this kind of, um, which it goes over to like elitism. All right. And so it just bothered me so much that I'm like, why did you include a ruling class? You could have just let the people rule themselves and have their, it, then the, and then it makes it even, it makes it even better when they talk about how this is city of immigrants. But then if you want to get into the city nowadays, you have to pass through like a gauntlet of mages who have helms of telepathy to read your thoughts. So it's like, okay, they just created like, like fantasy ice. Mm-hmm. It's just, I don't get it. There's something there that if it was handled differently, that it could be like this the citadel is a utopian society that is now out of sync because of like those missing civilizations or there's maybe some sort of force negative force that is working through the citadel that that's what you're trying to figure out trying to root out these people who've tried to instate these rules trying to you know you could have had a very strong metaphor but now it's just a mixed metaphor it's like we want this perfect society but that's really boring. There's no adventures to be had there. So we've got to add in some complications. And I agree. Like it didn't bother me, but I did read it going, huh, that's, that's kind of Yeah. Weird. The thing though, that kind of really just let the bad taste in my mouth is because this, it's like this whole premise of this book, it was written by, by people of color who are historically a group of people who are, have been treated inequitably. 
so this whole idea of like, okay, yeah, so we're going to create this equitable society, but then we're going to introduce these problematic elements once again. So it's, it's just, it, it kind of gets down to this whole idea of like people, for whatever reason, they're stuck in their head that they can't have like play a fantasy game without there being like this ruling class, like this this almost like it's kind of this follows this whole old school adventure structure that you get your missions from the people in charge. So mm-hmm. I guess I I'm can like I guess you can't yeah. have missions. Well, and we don't know again what what things Watsi said had to be present. Yeah, because, because again you need an adventure. Like if it's if if it's a perfect utopia. There's nothing to do there. So I, I don't know. Again, I see what you're saying. It doesn't bother me like it bothered yeah. you. Maybe that's something someday we can talk to Justice and maybe we can get the, the hey, that, you know, Watsi said we had to have certain things to cause friction. Otherwise, there would be no need for the adventurers. I don't know. Yeah. But that was the kind of the big, that was the, that was the big thing for me. And the thing is, though, it's just this opening section. So this first section, I wish I knew who wrote each section. Each section, yeah. And because I'm like, this definitely feels like that was written by the in-house, like, Chris Perkin types. Like, it just does. It feels like it's, like, Watsy very clearly defining what this opening chapter was, but then they told all the other authors, okay, you can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. So, and, and maybe that's it. I, again, maybe someday we'll, we'll, get the, we'll get the scoop on that. All right. So we have 13 adventures that run a gambit of basically first through 14th level. We each took two that we're going to talk a little bit about in depth. Just, just again, we didn't want to cover all of them. And we thought that would be a, a fair, nice slice. As far as I can tell, they're all presented in the same way, which I do actually kind of think this is interesting. So you start with the adventure, and then at the end, you have a gazetteer section, which further expands upon either the geography or the culture that is represented by that adventure. So if you want to expand the adventure, if you want to do more, if you want to try to build into a full campaign, each adventure has its own gazetteer section, but it comes at the end. So if you don't want to do that, if you just want to present the adventure as is, you can. It's simple. It's formatted. You're done. But there is more flavor there if you want to use it. And if there's any additional monsters or items that were introduced in that adventure, they are included in that last section. Again, we're going to take a look at four adventures to each. So the first adventure is called Salted Legacy, and this is basically your first and or second level adventure. And at least according to what I found on the internet, the sort of the cultural um, inspiration, the cultural inspiration here is the city of Bangkok and yeah. the, the night market that we are interacting with. And then the creatures that are behind sort of the, the mystery is sort of like uh, how monkeys are depicted or actually act in Bangkok and can cause havoc in some, some of the markets. Um, so Salt Salted Legacy basically boils down to there are two rival families they each have markets in, or they have like stalls, you know, in these marketplaces. And they've had a back and forth sort of rivalry for years and years and years. And they are on the edge of solving it and getting past it. The, the new people who are in charge of the family, the youngsters in the families are like, you know what? We're going to get past these rivalries that, are, that are, our older folks have had, our ancestors have had, and we're going to make it right. And then something happens and sort of reignites this rivalry and the adventurers are brought in kind of 
slapdashedly, I would say, sort of like, oh, you're here, please help us because you're there. Um, and then it turns out that there's a third rival who is trying to stoke their rivalry for their own gains. But even then, it's not really, they're not really evil. They're just trying to do a thing and they need this thing to happen. And then basically you go around talking to a bunch of the other market vendors stalls and you're like, hey, so this is weird. And hey, this is weird. And then it all comes down to persimmons. I'm not a fan. I don't I don't like this adventure. I, I would never run this adventure as is. I don't think I would steal anything from it. This one did not work for me. I will spoil the other one I picked. I actually kind of like this one. I did not. Okay. Why did you want to pick the first one then? Is it just you wanted to go, you wanted to look at the, how the entry level? Yeah. I run a lot of low levels. I run a lot of like level one, basically adventures. And so I kind of wanted to see what they did with it. And I found this to be a very boring adventure. Okay. The way it's structured, what you do, what the actual secret is, or, you know, what, what the mystery to be discovered is. And even the way you go about it, it all seems very handholdy, but not in a fun, like educational, here's how you play the game way as much as a, I, I don't know. I, again, gotcha. I just, I didn't like, I, I can't say I did not like this adventure. I'll talk about the one that I didn't like later, but the okay. one that I did. So my, I picked the third level adventure because I think third level is an amazing level. And as I'm just kind of flipping through these, there's just several pieces of art that just really struck me in this game that they were kind of creepy in this adventure written in blood kind of creepy they kind of were giving me like some folklore vibes off of them you know very agriculture so according to the internet that uh one is based off of new orleans basically like the bayou not new orleans i read mississippi in georgia so i guess more of like the southern states I guess it could go, but this I, was very. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both because there was there was something I read that said it was basically about um uh, you know the the person of color experience in like the South, but also the city is the or the culture itself is like on a bayou, and there's a lot of, okay. sort of like rituals and festivals that are very similar to what you would experience in New Orleans. Again, so I'm a white dude, I could absolutely be screwing that up. So please do not hold me to it. That's what the internet told me. I could be wrong. So this is another problem that I have with. I wish. That they just, to- I just wish told that they us. would to- just tell you who the author is because they don't tell you who writes each adventure. You have to go online and try to find that out. I don't know who wrote Written in Blood, but I want to read like everything that they have done. Like, I'm not joking when I say that. It's such a good adventure. And I want to explain why, but this adventure is giving me very much like David Lynch. Mm. kind of vibes like twin peaks or even like jordan peele this very kind of just this unsettling this unsettling unsettling like horror and it's just like it feels this is like what i really enjoy running just more quiet adventures but you know that there's something really creepy just in the background so this adventure kind of starts with this this whole like folklore and this tale of this family that got like pulled into the ground all right and it's it's really creepy and adventures come here and then they they come to this look this location they find out that some other people have been going missing and that they eventually meet up with a local trader who really is like this is terrible for my business like um just if you wouldn't mind helping out i think i got this clue like and so you go over to this other 
farm and it just kind of it goes from there and you kind of figure out like this what's actually kind of going on and it is just it's very good and i like it a whole lot uh it's i could i could take this adventure and like i could drop this i feel in ravenloft or even take this entire premise and drop it into any of the other games i'm doing like for like forbidden lands because just the structure of this adventure is so tight it's not it's very thematically there's not a whole lot of random monsters here and there it just feels very cohesive and that's a good adventure so i like this one i had actually picked this one to do and then you told me you were going to do it so then i, oh. I picked another one i also like this one quite a lot it does, it has it feels a lot like a michael adventure like if you've played in mine or, or a lot of the campaigns that i run online there's some like darkness to it there's some heaviness and weightiness there's like yeah. tragedy in there and oh, yeah. those are things that I'm drawn I to. I love it. I agree. I think this was a fun adventure. And this is one I would definitely, I probably wouldn't run it as is, but there are some some imagery and some some things that have happened that I think are really cool that I will probably steal and put into other games and like twist them a little bit. So yeah, I was oh, yeah. also a fan of this one. This is a good one. Written in Blood is is definitely, it's, it's, it's a good one. All right. So the second one that I chose is called Trail of Destruction. I believe it is the eighth level adventure in the book. Um, and according to the internet, it is heavily influenced off of Aztec culture as well as the author, who I still don't know who they are, living in Mexico City. So there's a lot of Mexico City and Aztec culture that is weaved into this one. And basically this one, there is a series of volcanoes in this region, and they have been there's like a group that monitors them, and usually their uh, eruptions are pretty well established and predicted, and people can be, you know, the, the damage can be mitigated because of this group that watches them. But now some of the volcanoes, one in particular, is starting to erupt um, without warning and in irre- irregular times, and as right now it's causing basically problems because people aren't prepared for these um, natural disasters. And then you also have some thematic elements with these like fire salamanders and other fire elemental type creatures that are attacking people. And again, the spoiler for this one. So if you're going to be in a player, you know, again, maybe tune out for a few seconds if you're the DM. There are actual gods or creatures that are represented as being gods that live in each of these volcanoes. And one of them has started to awaken and has actually fully awakened. And that is why this volcano in particular is erupting at irregular times. And this being wants to awaken all the other spirits within the other volcanoes, which would pretty much lead to almost total destruction. And these fire salamanders and these fire elementals are the minions of that creature. And they were going around attacking people who were trying to offer offerings to the gods they normally worship that might keep these spirits inert and are stealing them and then using them to actually offer them to the spirits in the volcano. And it's sort of like a mass situation that once enough of an offering has been gathered, that it will start to awaken the other spirits. And then it will be sort of like a chain reaction as more and more of them awaken, it will happen faster and faster. So the, the, there's a bit of a mystery as to like who these fire salamanders are working for and to, why are they attacking these seemingly just innocent bystanders? Like what is happening to these offerings? And then you have this group that is overseeing the volcanoes and what they know and how they can get it there. And then they're just in the middle, there's this 
NPC that is introduced that's just there on like vacation and they are presented as this very sort of outrageous personality that never wants to break character. And I can definitely see certain DMs really leaning into that and making them a fun NPC. Fun in some ways, maybe annoying in others, but that can be fun both ways and you got to like protect them. And they actually have some information, so they're important to the plot, but they're also easily like endangered and have to be rescued. I could have a ton of fun running this adventure pretty much as is. I would I would probably pull away some of that. There's a spirit that's a god stuff. Again, I'm sure that they're trying to lean into that culture. I would probably move some of that away, but I would I would move into someone is trying to cause these volcanoes to erupt. There's a lot of problems. There's lava. That could be fun. And then here's this really outrageous, over-the-top NPC actor that um, gets into trouble, and you have to keep them safe because they're they're key to saving this in some way. I would have a ton of fun with this one. I, w- I would probably run this one like 60 to 70% by the book, and for me, that's a lot. I liked it quite a bit. Plus, it's got a cool, like, I, I enjoyed the salamander creature yeah. at the end of this. I think that's a fun adventure, yes. I, or a fun creature, sorry. Yeah, I like creatures that have powers where if the players get close... It hurts They them. take damage. Yeah. I think that's cool. I think it makes them... They, they can't just bash it to death. Like, they have to really think about how they're going to well, approach it. They can, but there's that risk versus reward. Like, maybe yeah. my, my best attack is up close... But, you know, will I work out in the end the damage I take versus the damage I deal versus a range thing? Like, I think, again, as someone who doesn't do a lot of, like, strategy battle stuff, that's the type of stuff I do enjoy of, okay, we have to figure out the best way to approach this. And it might just be me stand there and hack it because I do the most damage, but then it becomes a decision to do that, not just the standard thing that I do because. Yeah. So, yeah, I actually really like that adventure quite a lot. And then you okay. want to do the last one, the highest level adventure, for number 14 itself, or 13, 14th level. So yeah, um, with these an- uh, anthologies, I typically don't read the w- what I'm going to do with these reviews. I typically, how I approach like which adventures I want to look at, because you obviously, we don't have time to read everything. I flip through and I kind of just browse real quick at some of the imagery, see what kind of strikes me. Um, and I'll usually pick an adventure there, but then I always want to do the last one because writing high level adventures is very hard to do. All right. Because gameplay kind of breaks down and it's hard to do. It can be done, but it is not done here. Okay. okay. This high level adventure, the orchids of the invisible mountain falls into the trap that every high-level adventure defaults into. And it is, they make it high-level by just throwing random monsters that mean absolutely, they, they just thematically don't make any sense. Like, we have night hags in this, and aboliths, and thrycreen, and there's just all sorts, I just like, just random monsters just like all thrown out here a giant badger like it doesn't make any sense it feels very old school D where you would go into one room and there would be some skeletons but then you go into a next room and there's a t-rex and it's just like that's what this feels like and also the way this opens up is 
the players are in this cool mountain valley. And I'm like, the art is awesome. I'm like, okay, this is cool. I want to do an adventure here. There's this big bird flying over this bridge in this valley. But then they immediately, it's, they, the, this adventure starts by, they, there's like a portal that opens up and somebody's trapped in the portal and they're like, find me, go to here. And that's it. They mm-hmm. have to go to there. They're like the the person says that there's like ghosts or some creature that is in the ghost orchid and it's orchard and it's just like okay all right well let's do that and and then it jumps from you go to like this some you go to a big termite mound crystal caves eventually you wind up in some sort of ethereal realm with a husk of some creature there's a storm giant in here it just Nothing with this adventure feels cohesive at all. I have no idea how to even run it. And so that's my problem with these high-level adventures. You can't just have, like, this location. Here's this thing. Now here's this location. Here's this thing. Because I think so many designers fall into this. They're like, well, okay, well, what is? how are my high-level people are going to use their powers? So, okay, here's a storm giant. And it's just... It just doesn't work because there's some really cool ideas here. Just the whole idea of like old gods and there's some Lovecraftian elements here. But it's just because it's all just kind of blended together. It just is. There's no thematic through line. No, it's because because I'm not even getting a whole lot of you get like this whole idea of it being Venezuela. Mm -hmm. And then you're immediately in like crystal caves. And so now you're I did in look, space. Apparently there are some geogra like there's multiple geographies that exist within Venezuela that these are mapped onto. So I don't again, I don't know. I've never been there. I don't know if there is like a crystal cave like attraction that people go visit, but I do know that some of the like the lush jungles represent a certain part of Venezuela. So there are supposed to be these one for one location geographies that these things map to, but that just because it does make sense in Venezuela doesn't mean it makes sense in the adventure as presented. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would have been awesome if this is like some sort of like ghost valley, like <laughs> in like that's like this ghost orchard, the whole the orchids of the invisible mountain. But now, why am I in a crystal cave? And now, why am I in space? Like just the whole idea of it doesn't make any it doesn't make any sense. That's why I think I really liked Written in Blood was it was so tight. Mm-hmm. It felt cohesive you were in this one environment that was just if i'm gonna run a one shot that is like that's gold right there because it's very easy to do that in two to three hours whereas this i'm having to explain and try to get the players to understand where they are now and that's like you spend so much time like okay now you're in these crystal caves now you kind of have to change your mentality as far as where you are and now we're in space and so it's a different game. It just high level adventures are hard. I get that, but don't just throw random monsters in random locations at it. So again, this is a very mixed bag for me on this one. Um, I will say you touch on the art. I love almost all the art in here. I think all the art is great. Art's great. Oh, hundred percent. Um, I, the, the problem with a lot of the, um, these anthologies is that, like, Ghost of Saltmarsh was so bad about it. Just, like, random 
reused art everywhere. And I think yeah. Wizards have gotten a lot better as far as not reusing as much art. This is just, everything is just hits really well. The big pieces that kind of show you the locations, like this is the feeling of this adventure. Those opening page spreads mm-hmm. are all so great. The Citadel art with the crystal creatures is also awesome. So, And also I did like the layout just in the general idea of the adventure comes first and then the gazetteer comes second for each of the adventures. So it does flesh the, out these locations if you do want to try to turn it into a campaign and, and create your own ways to interconnect them more. Or or maybe there's one in particular location or culture that you're interested in and you want to flesh that out. I like that as a structure because I think, like, I would assume that normally it would be the other way. You get all this upfront information about each location and then you go into the adventure. But the way it's designed, I think it makes more sense to do it the other way. So I appreciate that, though I don't know that the adventure layout as far as like, here's a quick overview of the whole thing. And then here's how it breaks down. But some of like the ones I did were pretty short because I did sort of the lower level ones. I don't know if the higher level one does a different layout structure. If you want to touch on that. Yeah, no. So the adventure structures, I kind of that same thing. I was like, well, why didn't they put the gazetteer at the beginning? That's kind of weird. But then I realized that I don't need the gazetteer to run the adventure. And that would have just confused me even more. It'd been too much. It would have been too much. And that's one of the things I love, concise information. Like, this is how you you give people good information. So that was really smart of them. There are some of these adventures that just are so, so good. And they're, they flow so well. They give you, they don't give you too many NPCs. They give you just what you need and when you need it. And then there's some like the, the last one that's just so confusing to even run. So information parsing is still a struggle on all of these and that it just doesn't feel concise across them. But overall, I did appreciate that they gave us pronunciation guides at the beginning of each one. But as far as like information presented, this would have been so good. Like this book would have just been at another level if they would have just put who wrote the adventure at the adventure and what it was based the on inspiration. What we, the inspiration, because I think it was Ken Height says that it doesn't matter. It, one of the things it was at a catacomb that he said this when he came and did a little speech. I still remember this. He did something on world building. He said, if you're going to take inspiration from the real world and put it in your game, tell the people who are going to be running your game what it is. So it's this just because it, you then right away, you're like, oh, OK, I didn't know that. And so it just kind of, it tricks your brain. And I just feel like this is, there's no way Watsy's going to put, I don't know why, but there's no way they will ever put the word Mexico in their book or Venezuela. They just won't put any real world thing in their book. They just won't. I don't understand this. I think it goes to this whole idea of like meta knowledge and stuff. Yeah. I don't, Why are no. people so afraid of it? Maybe it's, you know, I'm just speculating, but maybe it's because they would be afraid that that some people would take umbrage with, oh, this is supposed to be my culture, and this is, you know, because it has to be fantasized in some way. I, again, I'm just speculating. I don't know. Uh, but for me, this is very much a mixed bag. This is probably yeah. this is probably going to be my lowest score I've given on any book. Oh, I do, really? I love the idea of this book. I fully support it. I have no problem with them gathering underrepresented, uh, you know, uh, types of creators and giving them an opportunity and putting it together. I think that's all great. I think the execution is poor here overall. So yeah, and even the alt, the alt cover, 
it's okay. I don't like it that much. It's all right. I I kind of agree uh, that it's a mixed bag for this one. There are really high highs and really low lows. Mm. So, all right. So, what are you going to give it your what's your overall score? Because we're not doing individual scores; it's all rolled in together. What is your score for this? Yeah, I w- I would give this. I'm gonna you know what? I'm gonna give this one a pretty low one too. I'm gonna give it a C. All right, I'm gonna give it a C just because. I'm flipping through it. There's so much stuff that I there's like adventures that I really like, like I really like Shadow of the Sun as well, but and written in written in blood. But when you have an anthology, it shouldn't have to stand on the backs of one or two out of twelve. Mm-hmm. So and there's and I'm just kind of I'm I'm just. Not and there's more than just two that are good here. There's 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 a bunch that are really good, but then there's some that are just not as great. And just the whole idea of like, for whatever reason, they cannot nail down an anthology book that has a cohesive thread throughout it. Like they just haven't done it yet. So, and I don't think they did it with this one. Uh, to me, it's it's frustrating in how close I think it is to being great. Yes. Again, I think the the Radiant Citadel. Again, I got Mass Effect. Mass Effect vibes. I know that doesn't connect to you, but it does for me. And then, fair or not, the fact that we are so close to making this, again, in my opinion, a great adventure. Make it about the Radiant Citadel and make it about these lost cultures. To me, that's the most interesting part of this setup is that what is the thing? What was its original purpose for? These, the incarnates, which we didn't really talk about, are these spirits. These, these are these sort of gestalt spirits that form on these, like, like a whole bunch of like pieces of obsidian, then form into an anthropomorphized version of like a bird. And you have like the uh, onyx eagle. And then you have like this jade uh, tiger. I think it's like sapphire tiger, something like that. Those are really cool. And they, they're, they're built into the mythology a little bit, but we really don't get into them. I would love for that to be something that this is supposed to be a utopia and it's not. Why? What is going on? What is the corrupting factor? And maybe these lost civilizations were not lost, but they were in fact cut off by some force so that they then could get the, the power that they wanted and then make the adventure going to those lost civilizations, rediscover them, coming back together, discovering some nefarious plot and making the Radiant Citadel truly shine like the beacon in the ethereal sea it's supposed to be. And so for that, I'm going to give it a C-. Because yeah. I feel like they had a great idea, and they were like, let's don't use that, and let's do this instead. And again, that's my opinion. Maybe I'm being a complete jerk about it, but everything about this book is like, in my mind, not to say everything, a large portion of this book is the wrong choice. Oh, hold I just looked something up here. Aaron Roberts, who wrote Written in Blood, also writes for Clark's World. Do you know what Clark's World is? I do not. Clark's World is a short story, uh, science fiction kind of anthology and are some of my favorite stuff. Oh, well, that makes sense. It kind of makes sense. So, yeah. So, anyway. So, anyway, yeah. So, for me, this is a a pass. Like, I, I, I can't really suggest that you get this book. Yeah. If you have the ability, if you want to... I don't know if they have this ability on Roll20, but if you can buy just individual adventures for your Roll20, there's a few that and you can hit us up on Discord if you want to know some of our other favorite ones. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, w- I 
I don't know if I would get this whole book. Yeah. And again, I'm not, I'm not trying to be like sad because we're giving Watsy a bad score. It's just we like to talk about things we love. Yeah. And this is, I mean, if if we didn't like it enough to cover it, we wouldn't. But it's borderline for me. Again, I think this. I, I don't think I've given anything this low of a score overall before, and it's just disappointing because I wanted this to be amazing. It's just like every time I watch a movie, I want that movie to be amazing. Every time I get a new RPG book, I want it to be amazing, and this one just isn't to me. You may love no. it, not for me. No. All right, I agree. All right. Well, that will do it for us. Um, again, thank you, Wizards of the Coast, for sending it to us. Right now, my initial thoughts on Spelljammer, that'll probably be a higher score. We're kind of digging that one. <laughs> but as always, again, if you have something you want us to review, either something you've created or just something you love that you want to put on our radar, please email us, therpgacademy at gmail.com. And uh, we will, I can't promise, but we'll take a look. Uh, we've got a bunch of show and tells lined up. Tom is really busy with those. So we've got some really cool stuff that's going to be coming your way soon. Um, the sample adventures, again, they're continue to come out. Alien just started coming out this week. We got Monster of the Week coming out soon. We have a D&D Eberron lining up. We got a Dune lining up. We got a 13 Age lining up. We got a Blue Rose lining up. On and on and on and on and on. So hopefully you're enjoying those because they're going to keep coming. Anything from you, Tom, before we sign off? Go back a Catacon oh, Kickstarter. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, Catacon, live right now. This will be out in just a couple of days. So, yes, we've already funded within one week. So happy, cannot kind of mean share how aesthetic I am. I thought we'd get there. I did not think we'd get there this fast. So for like the first time ever, really, we have stretch goals. Uh, we're working towards one right now. If we hit ten thousand, we're going to rent a karaoke machine, and Michael from Redemption is going to host a Friday night karaoke party in the DCC so that we can control. We don't have to go out to like a bar and you know worry about people there. It'll be a, a catacon hosted event. At least that's the plan right now. Can't say one hundred percent because I have to still have to rent that room. Um, and then we're looking at some other things if we get further along. So please come support us. Come play games with us if you can. Yep. Even if you can't, five bucks, ten bucks, just throw some support at us. So don't think because we funded we don't need the help. We do still need the help. Absolutely. All right. And then with that, we'll just say as we always do, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. Thanks. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize. But there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy, or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook or join our Discord where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time.
The music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.